Hello and welcome to episode 185 of Retro Encounter, the RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and I am here with uh, three other RPG Fan staff members to talk about a uh, a recent-ish trend in the uh, gaming consumer world that uh, we were interested enough to at least have a podcast about it. So joining me today are, first, Peter Treisenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Treisenberg. Uh, I have Fury just about everywhere. And also joining us is Zach Wilkerson. Hey there. And thirdly, making her uh, retro encounter and podcast debut for RPG Fan from our social media team, Lucy Gray. Hi, I occasionally say funny things on the internet. Indeed you do, and our Twitter feed and Facebook page are all the better for it. So, uh, Lucy, Peter, and Zach, uh, we we had this idea floating around our Google Doc for a while now. Um, There's a lot of enthusiasm right now for mini consoles or uh or you know console classic versions or however you want to identify them basically miniature separate uh consoles that come preloaded with a lot of older games um especially the uh the nes classic in 2016 and the snes classic in 2017 were uh so popular that they were selling out everywhere like uh, one of my friends ended up getting a nes classic for about 100 bucks because he thought they weren't going to release it again and he, he feels pretty bad about it. These aren't exactly a new phenomenon. Uh, there were uh, there are miniature consoles called uh, the Atari Flashback, which started out more than 15 years ago, and now I think they're up to the Atari Flashback 9. You have consoles like the... Uh, there was a, a Neo Geo Mini Classic console that looks like a tiny arcade cabinet, uh, which is an entire, extremely awkward to play, but does have a bunch of old Neo Geo games on it, which I, of course, naturally support. You can find gods, guides online on how to convert a Raspberry a Raspberry Pi set top box into a classic console, and uh, and the, and uh, the way that Raspberry Pi like the company promotes it is like yes you can do this and we do not necessarily endorse it but here's how you do it. <laughs> um, and you know if you want yeah and in general and then there's there's also the uh, Soldier Boy various consoles that are obvious blatant rip-offs of the old consoles. That's, that's right. Oh, no. Insane. Yeah, internet rap sensation and, uh, and meme-tastic dance move creator Soldier Boy is trying to enter the console game himself, which is not a source I was expecting. He, he was a little bit further down the list after uh, Amazon and Google, I would say. It's about how Nintendo isn't going isn't gonna to get in his way. Nintendo immediately sees him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there was some... There's older versions of these that that uh, did have Nintendo permission, among others. There's a uh, I know there was one that had uh, about five Capcom games on it. So the, uh, like sometimes these mini consoles do have permission from the big developers of classic games, and they have been around for a while, but they didn't really explode in popularity until the NES Classic and SNES Classic, or at least from my perspective, they they didn't. So uh, the four of us, at least, upon examining the libraries of these. Notice that there are not nearly enough RPGs. I mean, that's true. Come on, it's just a shame. <laughs> so we're going to go through uh, those two consoles plus a third console that also has its you know own uh, host of issues and uh, talk about the games it's missing, what we would do to improve them, and uh, and also just you know acknowledge them as at least this NES Classic and SNES Classic as being pretty cool little boxes. I played A Link to the Past and Super Mario RPG last year on my SNES Classic for uh, for the podcast. We ended up recording um, some Zelda episodes and two Super Mario RPG episodes. So, But let's start a little bit earlier. Um, the NES Classic, it, had, it comes with 30 games. It retailed in North America for $60 American. And 
So $2 a game is a pretty good deal. It's better than the old Wii Virtual Console, at least. But it only has uh, one or two RPGs, depending on your definition of an RPG. It has Final Fantasy 1 and uh, Zelda 1 and 2 and a couple other things. But, I mean, come on, guys. That's, that's not what we wanted. I mean, to be fair, including the original Final Fantasy at all was a little more than I was expecting. Well, okay, one thing I was expecting was at least one damn Dragon Warrior game. Yeah, no they, kidding. Yeah, Same. Right? All, all four of those came out in the United States, so they wouldn't have to do a new translation or anything. And they're, like, seminal, important, classic RPGs. And I would say that Dragon Quest uh, Dragon Quest or Warrior 3 and 4 are better than Final Fantasy 1. I, I mean, let's be real. Come on. Final Fantasy 1 NES does not totally hold up, and Dragon Quest 4 kind of does, amazingly. <laughs> Uh, they didn't. Wasn't there like a Nintendo Power uh, pr- cross promotion with Dragon Warrior One too? So it's kind of got the history going for it. Yeah, you got you got a que- you got a copy of Dragon Warrior One with a Nintendo Power subscription for many years. Yeah, uh, that's so, all I got my copy. Yeah, that's all. A lot of people were introduced to RPGs, or at least uh, from anecdotal experience. Um, I didn't subscribe to Nintendo Power, so I played a couple Dragon Warrior games at friends' houses and eventually rented all of them. But the only one I got really far in was Dragon. Quest Four. Uh, I didn't. I didn't actually beat any of them until I started emulating stuff in the late '90s, and uh, and, pl- and played the Game Boy Color versions of Dragon Quest One, Two, and Three. But I, I'm a huge Dragon Quest fan. That's uh, well documented, and I'm a little disappointed that none of them made it to the NES Classic. Well, particularly when you think about the fact that Nintendo now seems to be making such an effort to re-establish the link between Nintendo and the Dragon Quest series. That's right. Um, when they were releasing them on the on the DS, with uh, four, five, six, and nine in uh, succession, um, Square published two of them, but then Nintendo published the rest. And uh, I think Nintendo is publishing the upcoming Switch version of Dragon Quest Eleven, I think, or at least maybe just uh, in the United States. But um, yeah. but yeah, Dragon uh, Dragon Quest and Nintendo have a good relationship, and they have a fair relationship with Square as well, since there's plenty of cross-pollination between Nintendo and Square these days. So I don't know why they didn't include... They included Final Fantasy 1, but not Dragon Quest 1. Um, if I had to pick one to be on the Classic, I probably would pick 3. Yeah, because, same here. Um, I, I maybe have more positive nostalgia with 4, but 3 is sort of the uh, like the classic one that is held up as, a, as an old-school favorite, especially by Japanese audiences. Yeah, I mean, it's the one that sort of put it on the map, and so it surprises me that it wasn't... I mean, I don't think it was even on the Japanese version of the NES Classic, and no, no Dragon Quest was. Yeah, um, so. Final Fantasy III NES was, yeah. but no Dragon Quest games. I'm not, I'm not sure why that is exactly. Maybe, um, maybe it's because that you can get uh, Dragon Quest One, Two, and Three's uh, later versions on on PSN now in Japan. Yeah, uh, and they didn't want to. They didn't want to. Uh, least Square didn't want to take away from those sales. And, and I think that's that's a uh, you can use similar reasoning for a lot of the exclusions. Uh, there is a uh, none of the Capcom Disney games are on the NES. They uh, Capcom released six or seven. Yeah. Um, for start starting with Ducktales and Little Nemo and going into uh, like two Chip and Dale games and stuff. They they released several of those, but six of them were released as part of a Disney Afternoon collection last year. So I think maybe Capcom didn't want those on the NES Classic because they were trying to sell Disney Afternoon Collection or something. I, I, but I don't know, those games probably aren't even popular enough is the real reason. And a uh, similar thing with Mega Man. Me- they've released Mega Man Legacy Collections on basically every console for the past four or five years, and that, I think that's why they only have Mega Man 2 on the NES Classic. And the other thing with Dragon Quest is you, there's that always that issue with the licensing of music that composer right. seems to 
hold on to the music license with an iron fist. Yeah, Sugiyama has become a uh, like he was already a bit of a pl- problematic jerk, and he's been he's been basically worse and worse as the years got went on. He's kind of holding the series back, to be to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, geez, it's not like Square Enix is uh, lacking in music talent. They have uh, the, both the composers they contract and the composers they have on retainer are awesome. Whenever he's an elderly man, maybe he'll, uh, maybe nature will take its course, and Dragon Quest Twelve will have a new composer. Retro encounter. We're slowly waiting for Koichi Sugiyama to die. <laughs> okay, this podcast took a dark turn, but uh, <laughs> speaking of dark turns, um, the Castlevania series is on this thing. I think the NES Classic only has the first one, but come on, Castlevania Three is way better than the first one. And that was one of the first games I ever saw on the NES. I was one of those. Four children whose parents would not buy her an NES or an SNES. My first console was a Game Boy Classic, um, like the original Game Boy. Mine was. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I would go over to friends' houses and watch them play Castlevania and go, "This is fucking awesome." And when people talk about the Castlevania series, they're not going to recommend Castlevania One. They're usually recommending as the first one Castlevania Three. No. Um. People never say Castlevania One or Castlevania Two is the best one. They'll they'll go into three, four bloodlines or skip right ahead to the uh, to the nonlinear action RPG elements ones that started with Symphony of the Night. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Castlevania Three is the best of the three um, NES Castlevania games. The Japanese version of it came with those uh, weird NEC sound chips that had like uh, more channels of audio <laughs> than other ones. So like uh, some Konami games on the NES sound amazing compared to other ones like Castlevania 3, Gradius 2, uh, that that re- really weird Jap- Japan-only RPG, Lagrange Point. Uh, basically, Konami music on the NES got really, really elaborate and interesting, and that includes Castlevania 3. So, for audio reasons and gameplay reasons, that's the that's the one that we want, but it's not the one that we got. Yeah, I would probably have voted to put Castlevania 2 on there as well. I know it's like incomprehensible gibberish, but <laughs> it's also got some kind of iconic like. You know, what a horrible night to have a curse, just for the meme factor. (laughs) Yeah, and Castlevania 2 was forward-thinking. It's just, the technology was not ready for it, and it does not communicate uh, what it's trying to do very well at all. But it's, uh, I I beat it with a guide once, and I'm not interested in replaying it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And the Netflix adaptation of Castlevania is basically a retelling of 3. That's true. Uh, what about um, Earthbound Zero or uh, Mother One? Have you tried playing that thing? No, but you know, for completion, <laughs> Mother, One's, I... Mother One sucks. But yeah. most NES games suck. Let's uh, be real here. It's such a grind fest. <laughs> it's an inter- it's a terrible grind fest, and a couple dungeons at the end uh, have enemies that will one shot you regardless of the grind, which is which is why I stopped playing it. Yeah, Itoi is a uh, is a by all accounts a brilliant writer. He was he's like the equivalent of like an essayist or a columnist and uh, or a copywriter in Japan at a somewhat of a celebrity level. And the only games he really ever wrote were like the three mother games and a fishing game or something. So I, I'm sure Mother One is important to a lot of people in Japan. But man, I, I tried playing it on an emulator, and then I also played the Earthbound Beginnings official port. It's not a very good RPG. He figured out he figured out how to write a game with Earthbound. Earthbound and Mother Three are excellent, and Mother One is not. <laughs> Fair enough. But again, I never finished Mother One, so maybe it, I don't know. Maybe it, it's all worth it at the end, but I doubt it. I've heard the end. The ending is interesting, from what I heard. But that's whole no- okay. Whole another conversation. <laughs> 
So, Zach, is there an NES game you think is missing from the NES Classic? I mean, I think that one that would be fun uh, would be uh, Faxanadu. It's sort of, um, if you haven't played it, it sort of uh, plays a lot like Zelda 2, except for it's like way less hard and way more fun. Um, it's got some cool uh, medieval elements, um, some Metroidvania elements. Um, it, it's just sort of a fun game to play, and I don't feel like it has a lot of those um, like sort of side-scrolling RPG type stuff, except for Zelda 2, which I actually played this morning and is way too hard. Faxanadu is weird, because I think it was supposed to be a a sequel or a spin-off to Xanadu. Yes. And uh and which is a Falcom game and Falcom published Faxanadu but Hudson pu- developed it and it, as a result it doesn't really play like any Falcom game or any uh or the previous Xanadu game. It's but it, it is good. I um I think I only rented that game once. Um but it's uh it's again very forward thinking. It feels a, a little bit ahead of, ahead of its time and it it holds up better than a lot of those Yeah. you know the Zelda 2s or Wizards and Warriors of the world. Wizards and Warriors is a game I, I I'm not suggesting to go on the NES Classic. I, I, <laughs> I, I like I liked those games, but the most uh, memorable part of any of them is having Fabio on the cover of the second one. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, no, look up Wizards and Warriors two cover, and you will see a um, fantasy art of the male model model Fabio. Yep, that is uh, that is classic video game box art gold. <laughs> oh yeah, it's. It's reached meme status by now, but uh, it was, I think it was probably unironically interesting <laughs> when that game came out. Uh, but, oh shoot, we're running through a lot of the uh, NES Uber here, because there's, I mean, they got most of the what you want on the on the original version, I think. They did a pretty good job choosing those 30. I have to admit, there is one game that's not an RPG that I wish was on there, and that's Duck Hunt. Oh, yeah! Would they have to ship the thing with a light gun, though? Yeah, but that would be worth it. Come on. I mean, I'd be down, because, yeah, Duck Hunt and the NES are, like, synonymous with each other, but I, that's probably why it wasn't included, because okay. they would have needed another peripheral. But, come on, Nintendo likes money. Yeah, I, I'm I'm wondering about the possibility of peripherals or expansions with these. Because both for the NES Classic and SNES Classic, they, I mean, they're emulated versions of those games. But would there be a way to... I don't know, plug in an adapter that would add a 10-pack or something of games? That, that I think people would be interested in that. Probably would, although they would probably require more long-term support than they're giving these. Because I think at this at the time of this recording, both of the NES and SNES Classics have been officially discontinued. So they're going to have to release an NES Classic 2. They're either going to do that, or I think they're just replacing it with the Nintendo Switch Online service, which yeah, has added that's a ton more likely. But yeah. I'm not... I'm still at least a little bit impressed with the NES Classics lineup. You have all three uh, Mario games, uh, or uh, not Lost Levels, but you have the uh, the two USA that was adapted from Doki Doki Panic. You have Castlevania 1 and 2. Wait, no, Castlevania 2 is on, is on this thing. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. yeah I, I forgot. I, I, I'm, okay. looking, I'm looking at a list now, I, I, but I was not interested in replaying it, so I definitely skipped right over it. Might uh, be. It has uh, Gradius, which is a probably my favorite uh, series of shmup. Uh, you get the first Ninja Gaiden, which is great until you try to beat level 6-2. <laughs> There's, like, the NES Classic is, I think, a, a pretty good value purchase for, you know, if it, it originally cost 60 bucks, $2 a game for 30 pretty good games. I think that, that's not so bad. Uh, well, one last thing. I do enjoy the, um, the beat-em-up, uh, the Kunio-kun series game, uh, River City Ransom, especially since there's a, a gang called the Frat Boys who are in pink, uh, popped-collared shirts. 
that game's great, but uh, it, it didn't make it, unfortunately. But I think that's about enough talking about the NES. Now we have the SNES Classic, which uh, cost $80 instead of 60 and had 21 games instead of 30 but uh, I think there was probably even more fan enthusiasm around this because a lot of people loved, this, loved the SNES, and uh, this was a pretty good package in general. Oh, and I forgot to mention this. My one biggest problem and one favorite thing about both of those systems, the NES and the SNES Classic, the biggest problem is that the controllers are, uh, the controller cords are too short. They're only like three feet long. Yeah. I had to buy an extender. Yeah, I'm, I'm considering buying an extender because I have to like drag my uh, my chair up three feet just to just to be able to hold the controller without the thing falling off the shelf. Yeah, I play, but, I play games on my bed and my TV's on the other side of the room. Like that's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> we ended up getting the wireless controllers uh, made by Eight Bit, um, which made it a whole lot easier to travel with. I probably need one of those, and and they they work with the classic consoles well. Yes, they do. They have a little. Um, input device that you put in instead of the controller. Because um, if there's too much lag in Street Fighter 2, then then we have a problem. Street Fighter 2 has not been my main source of play on these games. <laughs> so uh, Thinking back on it, um, it may have been mine, <laughs> at least the game that I fired up the most on it. But uh, anyway, back to the SNES Classic, but my one favorite thing about both the NES and SNES Classic are the... Uh, the menus and menu music and the options to uh, to create a save state or, or or a load state, like all of that's really really good. I think the basic interfaces in both of them are are nice, and I love the dumb menu music. It's, it it won't fill the hole in my heart that is the Wii Shop music being gone forever. But uh, <laughs> all right, Dave. but uh, but but it's still very good. No, they really took a good hard look at how to make these accessible for a lot of people who either didn't have the systems when they originally picked them up or had been using emulators for the last 20 years to play these games and really tried to make it as seamless of a jump as possible. Yeah, it's um they're they are capitalizing on nostalgia a little bit and and uh both the nostalgia in- instinct and the collector instinct are strong with people trying to buy these things, but it is making a lot of games accessible to people that didn't go get to them the first time, and uh, I mean, I've been—I guess we've been dancing around a little bit. Uh, Star Fox Two was made legally available in a more complete form, or a mostly complete form, for the first time ever on the SNES Classic. That is excellent. I mean, the—it was—I don't, I don't know if you want to call it a legend or a joke or a rumor or what, but Star Fox Two was almost finished for the SNES. There was like illegal builds and bootlegs of it you could find if you went to some dark corners of the internet. But uh, but but never in a really finished version. I think they sort of cleaned it up a little bit and semi-finished it and made it available. On, it's like the 21st game on the SNES Classic. You have to beat Star Fox 1 unlock it, which is the only ish- instance like that in any of these games that we're talking about. Not the whole Star Fox. Not the whole Star Fox 1. Oh. You only have to beat the first level okay. of Star Fox oh, Okay, unlocked. Got it. Too. That's a little more manageable. Uh, that's better. Okay, I, I was, I, I just, I have not even tried Star Fox on the SNES Classic, so it still is that the, may uh... have been the first game we played when it <laughs> came out because somebody really wanted Star Fox Two on the screen immediately. Yeah, mine is, mine is still in the like closed present box, uh, like like birthday present box kind of um kind of image on the screen. But but now that you only have to beat the first level, maybe I'll do that later today. Hell, but the. Uh, the first game that I played on the SNES Classic was Mega Man X because um, th- that is a game that I will basically just play every year anyway. 
Um, and I, Fair. Uh, I, I, I can sit down and beat that thing in about an hour ten or so. I think the, the speed run record is, is about 45 minutes, but I'm not going to even attempt that. But the uh, I, I love uh, Mega Man in general and Mega Man X in particular, and I'm a little disappointed there's only X1 in the SES Classic, but it is the best one, so I'm not that upset. But okay, anyway, this is a, ostensibly an RPG fan podcast, so let's talk about <laughs> RPGs for a little bit. Um, we got three RPGs from Square's heyday on this thing. Uh, Super Mario RPG, Final Fantasy VI, Slash 3, and Secret of Mana. We also have Earthbound, a.k.a. Mother 2. Uh, Japan got the um, Fire Emblem Mystery of the Emblem game that was divided into two DS games, and we only got the first one in the United States. Fire Emblem localization is complicated. Uh, we got uh, Zelda a Link to the Past and a couple other um, games with some light RPG elements, but... I mean the the SNES RPG lineup is crazy, and that is those uh, five and a half games are not nearly enough for us. So, what do we think are some of the missing RPGs on the SNES Classic? Well, I one mean... of the games that I thought of partially simply because of a retro encounter episode was ActRaiser. Yeah. Because ActRaiser is so much fun to play, uh, particularly picking it up for the second time when uh, one of the folks on the podcast. Was deter- decided that she was never going to play Actraiser ever again, and I said, "I'll try it," and <laughs> I fell in love with it all over again. And I hadn't realized I played with it until I was talking to somebody else, and they're like, "Yeah, I used to play that at my house all the time. It was kind oh. of annoying." <laughs> so it was blocked from your memory, Final Fantasy VIII or Persona Two style. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, funny thing. Uh, both Persona Two, Innocent Sin, and Final Fantasy VIII have the. Uh, I erased some memories from my childhood due to weird supernatural interference plot twists, and both of those games came out at around the same time, so I don't think one was copying the other. Weird coincidence. But anyway, uh, back to ActRaiser. Uh, ActRaiser is awesome. I loved that thing when I rented it as a kid. I played it many times on an emulator. I got to the final boss once, but because the final thing in that game is a, a gauntlet of seven bosses, I never managed to ever finish it. Uh, and basically my, since then I'll, I'll clear like Fillmore and Bloodpool a lot and then just sort of stall out and not, uh, and, and not play it anymore. But uh, that's happened many times, but I've only really gone the distance on ActRaiser that, uh, one time, but it's, it's, it's such a good game. Uh, it, it's like, it's like a weird God game, kind of like black and white, but you're a little angel shooting bats. And then the and then uh and then you have six zones with sort of two action stages each, and the action is really solid, but it gets pretty damn challenging. Um, that that gauntlet of seven bosses at the end still gives me nightmares. But the uh, I, I love ActRaiser. The it was available on the Wii Shop, and I and I and I have it on my Wii still, fortunately. But uh, the, now I don't think there's a way to legally play it anymore now that the Wii Shop is dead. No, I don't think there is. So yeah, ActRaiser would be a great candidate for a SNES Classic 2 or throwing it on the Switch emulate online service or however but yeah, ActRaiser is a great choice for this. Yeah, and one game that was like really missing in action from the SNES Classic is Chrono Trigger because oh yeah, come on like when, when, when people in our circles like talk about like the best RPGs on the Super Nintendo, Chrono Trigger is like usually the first one mentioned and that is a bizarre omission um, for what for my money, yeah, I, I mean, Chrono Trigger's immensely popular and awesome, and continues the trend of us talking about retro encounter games first in this section. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's just one of those things where, like, I mean, Final Fantasy three is a great inclusion. Don't get me wrong. Well, six, three, whatever. Uh, that's a great inclusion. Don't get me wrong. But like, Chrono Trigger, I feel like is an equal company to that game, and uh, uh, definitely should have been included. Yep. Um. I mean, they called it the Dream Project. It was the artist and the writer from Dragon Quest joining a Square team at the top of their game. It's a uh, hugely beloved. It's my favorite RPG of all time. Uh, yeah, Chrono Trigger is awesome and should be on this thing. And you know what? Let's talk about another uh, game that we have had on Retro Encounter extremely recently this time. Uh, Lufia 2 Rise yep. of the Sinistrals is, is excellent. <laughs> yeah, I can finally play it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's uh, one of the things. I mean, I, I, I'm on the Lufia 2 episodes, and um, like, there's not like an easy way to get your hands on it. Um, at least like with Chrono Trigger, like, there's like a way that I can, I can play it a million ways. Maybe not well, but yeah, Lufia 2, I mean, outside of the the physical cartridge or the really bad DS remake, um, it's really hard to get your hands on it, and it's an excellent SNES RPG. Yeah, I, I never played the SNES cartridge. I emulated Lufia 2 when I was emulating every SNES game I never played in the early 2000s, and I absolutely adored it. Lufia 2 is awesome. It's the only good Lufia game, which is a little bit of a shame. It uh, feels ahead of its time. There's monster hunting stuff. There's multiple. There's like a magic system and a skill system that sort of you use in balance. You can uh, hear all about this on the uh, Luffy Two episode. There's dungeon exploration and and uh, navigation elements. There's crazy puzzles that get extremely challenging in the second half, especially. Uh, there's an emotional the dragon grass. Yeah. The, oh Ugh. God, the dragon grass. Is, it, that's just rote memorization that you have to memorize like 13 damn steps. I hated the dragon grass. Yep. YouTube uh, was useful this time. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I didn't have YouTube when I played it. I, think, um, I, I definitely used game FAQs, though. Yeah. Because, again, this was, uh, this was when I was in high school in the early 2000s. But, uh, and, and, and characters and a really poignant ending that made me uh, weep, weep, weep openly. I mean, Lufia 2 is awesome. I wasn't on the episodes because I really needed a break from Retro Encounter. I was on, like, like 15 episodes in a row at that point. It's like, I'll let someone else play Lufia 2, even though I love that game. But... Uh, yeah, that would have been a great inclusion for this. And one thing that's unusual about Lufia 2 that I don't know, I don't think you mentioned on the podcast, um, Europe did not get a lot of the best Super Nintendo RPGs at the time. The first RP, the first Final Fantasy game released in Europe was seven, and uh, they didn't get any Dragon Quest games until eight. So the uh, Europe and because the Genesis and Mega Dr- and or I should say Mega Drive. Uh, released sort of games more internationally than the uh, than Nintendo and the SNES did at that time. Uh, for a long time, the Genesis was more popular than the Super Nintendo in m- most countries in Europe. But somehow, Lufia 2 got an international release. So it is... When when uh, the Lufia 2 episodes came out, we got messages from people in the Netherlands and Germany saying, oh, this is my favorite RPG. This is, like, the only RPG that we had on the SNES. <laughs> so it, oh, man, it, I didn't know that. And that's, it's not, it's, that's an exaggeration, saying if it was it was the only RPG in Europe and the SNES. But um, there, the uh, Europe's SNES library was way more limited than North America's. And as such, Lufia 2 stood out more than usual as being... Uh, as being a you know a, an, a a big Super Nintendo RPG that got a European wide release, you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna continue the European release trend and also continue the Retro Encounter previous game trend and uh, let's talk about Terranigma for a bit. Oh man, Terranigma is so good. And uh, none of the games in the Soul Blazer trilogy are on the SNES Classic. And uh, I, I would say that each all three of them are good, but they sort of <laughs> each one is better than the last one. And Terranigma as the third game in the trilogy is. Is great, and um, that game was really weird. It got a uh, a European release, including an English translation in the UK, but never came out in North America. 
and it's not even available on the Wii on the Wii Shop or Wii uh, Virtual Console. So there, I don't think there is a legal way to play it um, if you uh, limit yourself to North American hardware, which is too bad because that game's great. Yeah, that game was just super ambitious for the time, and it covers a lot of interesting ground you wouldn't expect for a a super NES game. And it's just a a, a fine, excellent ac- little action RPG on on the process. Uh, definitely a classic that I would love to see re released over here at some point. And it's it's just, it's a shame that there, like you said, there's no real legal way to play this, like um, in the, in North America. That's the other thing you got to worry about with these older games that we're not seeing re-releases for is that the time limit on the original uh, cartridges is running out. Those batteries are going to die, and then there goes all the information and possible games that we all consider classics going up in smoke. Yeah, games games preservation is a really important thing that this industry hasn't done a very good job of. Um we get a lot of HD re-releases nowadays for some reason. That's why I'm always such a fan of those, because they um, keep some of these games alive. There's already a lot of classics like Terranigma that kind of fall by the wayside. Particularly with you guys talking it up, I now really want to play this game. You don't need to play the previous two Soul Blazer games, which are Soul Blazer and Illusion of Gaia. You don't have to play either of those to understand Terranigma. They stand on their own. And both from an action perspective and a story perspective and a weird metaphysical like, world-shaping concept perspective, <laughs> Terranigma was super good. And um, um, But back to, on the issue of games preservation, these games will live on in emulation, but those still aren't really the original versions of the games, and companies like Backbone Entertainment that, uh, uh, that worked on the Mega Man Legacy Collection and the SNK 40th Anniversary Collection and a lot of other things, like, those people are working hard for games preservation, but there isn't enough of it, frankly. And, uh, no, absolutely. And when you hear things about, like... Uh, when you hear stories about how like PS1 games don't have their original assets anymore, like because those those servers had to migrate or something, it's uh-huh. a little bit tragic that uh, we could lose games that were uh, made in the classic era just because they're a little overlooked or their companies were a little bit irresponsible. Even recent examples, like this is this is not an RPG, but Silent Hill 2 um, was released. That HD collection was released with unfinished code because the original code is gone. They only had an incomplete build lying around. And uh, that's why the HD collection turned out the way it did. And the thought that one of the most acclaimed survival horror games of all time is quite possibly not going to ever see the light of day again is really sad. Yeah, that's that's tragic. I- I'm worried that we're going to get more cases like that than fewer in going forward. Let's g- let's uh, pivot back to the Super Nintendo Classic a little bit. Of course. Uh, Let's see, we, um, uh, Terranigma was great. You know, let's just continue the trend of, uh, Retro Encounter games bringing up. Uh, we, uh, Robert, Rob Fenner and I did an episode on Produce several years ago. Well, I said, like, two years ago, maybe. And we did, and I, that gave me an opportunity to talk about the Seventh Saga a lot. I love that game. That's not a oh good gosh, RPG. It's so hard. It's not a good RPG. It's extremely <laughs> challenging. It's sort of similar to Terranigma, to, sort of similar to ActRaiser in that I beat it once. I actually did beat the Seventh Saga instead of just get to the final boss. I beat oh. it once, but then, uh, an, all of my subsequent replays and previous replays, I would get to around uh, like the town after you fight Red Pison, and then uh, and I would sort of stall around there. But I but it's it's an extreme grind, but it has a lot of cool ideas. There's like seven characters or classes, and you choose one of them at the beginning, and you're competing with the other six characters to um, to collect the MacGuffins and save the world. And uh, the other six characters can join you or betray you or fight you or challenge you to duels and. 
like like which ones you which one you start with and which ones you can convince to join you and which ones you end up competing against are sort of part of the story of the seventh saga. And if you're extremely unlucky and the fight for the fifth rune ends up being a character that's a little bit strong, stronger than you or like a, a bad fit for you, then that can mean like several more hours of grinding. <laughs> it's uh, the seventh yeah. saga is intense, but I have a lot of affection and fascination for it, and I would love it for it to be available literally anywhere. Just put it on something, people. I I, I want to play that game without having to go back to my like Windows XP laptop. I mean, I've started started that game maybe a dozen times, and no matter what party combination, I died every time. And didn't they screw up something with like it when they were bringing it over with the code where like um, when you're fighting. Um, like the people who are also pursuing, I can't remember what they're pursuing, that they're like you're, over-leveled. You're trying, to, you're trying to collect the seven runes. Okay. And, uh, and sometimes you individually duel them, and for the and when you have to get the fifth rune, the boss of that dungeon is uh, randomly determined one of the other people. And yeah. uh, when you fight them, uh, basically they screwed up a little bit. Instead of having them being the same level of you, as you or a fixed level, they're always uh, one or two levels higher than you, I think. Okay. So it can be it can be extremely challenging uh, for that boss fight, especially if, like, I don't know, you, you, you choose the elf and then you end up fighting uh, 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 the dwarf or the demon who, like, will absolutely trounce the elf. Like, like situations like that can be really uh, brutal. But... I, I really love that game. I um, it's one of those things like, oh, maybe I should play the Seventh Saga again, and then I play the first thirty minutes of it. It's like, oh, I don't have time to play the first Seventh Saga again. <laughs> no. But I don't uh, think I have the emotional constitution for it, honestly. But yeah, uh, Produce only made a, a handful of RPGs in the in the nineties. Um, they're all at least interesting. Seventh Saga is the one that I love, but. Uh, Again, that game is not for the faint of heart. I beat it one time, and I really abused holding down the tilde button in, S- in ZSNES that uh, quadruples the game speed, so I could grind <laughs> more quickly. But yeah, that game's weird and great. So, do we have any other uh, SNES Classic wish inclusions or uh, missing games? Sorry, a couple of quick hits. Um, we've talked about Psychic Densetsu three before. That game's never had an official uh, localization uh, in the West, I don't think. Um, and that's one that's uh, highly regarded. Um, as well as Secret of Evermore, the you know the kind of the American uh, redheaded stepchild of the uh, Mana series. Yeah, but that game was really cute and had some some fun ideas. And uh, that I, game's not that game's not bad. Um, it's not. It was fun. Yeah, it is a little weird. I mean, that game was uh, made by uh, Square's American localization studio that I think was based in Austin or Dallas. And and as as such, it's the only game that was officially made by SquareSoft because SquareSoft was the name of the American publishing wing for Square. So, so technically, it's the only SquareSoft-made game, um, but it's also a, a very early Jeremy Sewell uh, uh, composition. He did a uh, a lot of a lot of really good um, RPG music in the '90s and 2000s, including Neverwinter Nights and Knights of the Old Republic, and and he also did Total Annihilation, uh, uh, which is an RTS game that I really really liked around '99 or 2000 or whenever that game. That came game out. is super rad. Yeah, that game is great. It's it it doesn't totally hold up. The art is kind of weird, but it's a uh, I loved that thing when I was playing it with friends in middle school. Uh, and also, there's a weird Cecil from Final Fantasy IV cameo in that game that I'm not sure got approved by the higher-ups in Japan. Speaking <laughs> huh. <laughs> um, of Final Fantasy IV, uh, where's that? Yeah, where is Final Fantasy IV? And Final Fantasy V? And Mystic Quest? Where are those things? Not on the SNES Classic. I mean, they've been released on, like, literally every other platform, so why not? <laughs> 
I can play those things on a Game Boy Advance or a mobile phone or uh, a PSP or a Vita or a PS3, I think, too. Maybe not a PS4, but yeah. The, um, and a Nintendo DS. And, oh, that's right. And a DS. Um, at least four you can, not five. Yeah. Right? But uh, but anyway, yeah, those things are on almost every platform, but not that they didn't make this NES Classic. Which, I mean, I don't know. I've, I think Final Fantasy IV is the Final Fantasy game I've replayed the most. Not because it's my favorite, it's probably not even in my top three or four, but because I play it every time it comes out on a new, on a new platform, which means I've played that thing eight times, at least. <laughs> but five doesn't get quite the same amount of love, and uh, that's, a, that's a game, too, that I think would be could use another second shot, because it's kind of like almost... It's almost like the Final Fantasy greatest hits um, of like the first era of Final Fantasy before... Uh, the series started to get a lot more complicated with six, seven, all the those ones. Yeah, um, but um, in Final Fantasy V, the crystals are four elemental theme MacGuffins that you have to locate, and they're not uh, they're not the remains of deceased phantom beasts that give you magic powers, and they're not crystallized mate- uh, mana stream that you equip onto your bracelet. <laughs> they're uh, Final Fantasy V has a very traditional plot setup and uses the Final Fantasy one three. Uh, class system in a pretty entertaining way. And it has Ferris, who is the best Final Fantasy character. Ferris is great. I think she's the probably the standout of the five main characters of that game, but it's a it's it's a rock-solid Final Fantasy game that has a lot of fans. Um, have you guys ever played the four-job Fiesta before? No. I only no. played through it once. Um, four-job Fiesta is a, uh, it's like an online uh, um, a charity run where you play Final Fantasy V using only four jobs. And uh, you're assigned the four jobs randomly um, uh, when you start playing it. I did it once several years ago, and uh, and and I also gave it to the charity. And it, it was it was a fun little romp. Uh, I don't remember my my entire lineup. It, it was monk, geomancer, and samurai. And I forget what my I forget what my uh, fire crystal job was. That that's a fun weird internet thing around the Final Fantasy V community. And this um, Final Fantasy V is real good. I I think I uh, if I were to sit down and just replay an old Final Fantasy game I haven't played in a while, 5 would be a, bit, a leading candidate for that, because I sort of miss it. It's that, that job system is so good. Yeah, it really is. Part of the reason why the SNES Classic feels like it's missing things is because we only got 21 games versus the 30 on the NES. Yeah. They, they could have fit, uh, fit more memory on that thing. And, um, I mean, I mean, SNES games are take up more space than NES games, but there's they they could have made a a bigger memory card to uh, to fit more than twenty one. I, I guess they were the only ones that they they probably set a limit on themselves because there w- there is some work into emulating that for new hardware. Yeah. So they, uh, but I don't know why they picked twenty one when they definitely could have fit more. Um, again, it, it doesn't seem like that the memory is expandable, so they probably won't have a uh, like an, ad- an an adapter to add more games to it, but a, a SNES Classic Two with a different lineup, I think, is a po- is a possibility, and I would be interested in that because I I love the Super Nintendo and its lineup. It's probably my favorite console of all time, or at least the one I have the most nostalgia for. Well, and also when you think about the fact that right now on the Switch, all you can get are NES games. You can't get the NSC. That's right. Yeah. And so you're stuck with a lot of games that people want to play and you're not being able to play them because they're either not available or that they have you digging out very ancient equipment. We, we can't really predict the future on uh, Nintendo's online service or the possibility of another boutique 
classic system like the SNES Classic. I I'm, I'm really curious. I I think that um, people would be way more interested in that online service if they started adding things besides NES games to it. But I mean, the Switch is barely two years old right now, and so they're they're still probably yeah. doing a test run for a lot of those online ser- uh, services. And, I feel uh, like it's gonna happen. And the the one or two times I've tried playing an, S- an NES game on the Switch, it has worked fine. I mean, it doesn't seem broken yet, but I, we want to see it expanded for sure. They've been yeah. do, also doing that thing where they release like special versions of them, where you get like power ups at the start, which is kind of an interesting way to ease players into some of these older games. Like you can play a version of a uh, Zelda that gives you all the equipment from the outset. <laughs> right. But okay, I think it's about uh, we've exhausted our discussion on the SNES Classic. So let's talk about the third and final. Uh, classic quote-unquote console that we're going to be discussing right now, the one that I'm also the saltiest about, uh, the PS1 Classic, which came out in late 2018. Um, and had, was an absolute disaster. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's it's weird. There's only 20 games on it, which is, I mean, fine. Maybe, maybe it was hard to, to uh, get 20 on there. And I think probably they, Sony saw how popular the NES Classic was, and maybe also SNES Classic, but I, I figured that the develops, development started earlier than that. And and try and maybe rush this thing out the door a little bit because it's messy. They use they mix um, international and uh, North American versions, uh, emulated versions of these. So you so you got so you got the the bad version of Tekken Three for for one. The 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 selection of games is strange. There's, Very strange. There, there's a and handful. Of, there's a handful of RPGs on there. Uh, Persona One, Final Fantasy Seven, and Wild Arms. Which are which is weird because those all three of those games are from '96 or '97, from the first couple years of the PlayStation. When I would say that, you know, '98 through 2000 is when that system came into its own. And, and it uh, tells you a lot that you know they retailed it originally for a hundred dollars and it's currently going for thirty-seven bucks. Yeah, I, maybe less than that. I, I saw I saw it for thirty-five somewhere uh, oh, a little while ago, and it, and the game has been out less than half a year. But and also like the the versions I mentioned Tekken three, but uh, the versions of Metal Gear Solid and uh, and Super Puzzle Fighter two Turbos are, are not are not as good on this. It has like it's the bad PS one version of Rayman, which was way better on the PC. Um, it's, mm-hmm. They picked Twisted Metal one and not Twisted Metal two, and two is the one that everyone knows the be- is the best one. I mean, they picked Persona one, the bad Persona game. Yeah. When uh, I, I, when I, I think fans would have preferred literally any other one, or maybe this is my own bias uh, entering the situation here. No, it's, no, 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 no. It's yeah, not by bad. far. Like I, I think it's cute that they included Wild Arms. That's a that's a, like a fun choice. And then like Final Fantasy VII is a classic, of course. Um, I really like Super Puzzle Fighter Two Turbo, but I would have preferred uh, like any of the Street Fighter Alpha games. <laughs> um, uh, Japan got Gradius Gaiden on the. Uh, and Parasite Eve on the on their version of the uh, of the PS1 Classic, and I I think both of those games are really great inclusions. Um, I have the Gradius Collection for PSP, which is the first five Gradius games, and Gradius Gaiden is like the the coolest one in that collection. That that is a really really fun sh- uh, shmup. But so so there are a couple cool interesting choices for inclusion here. But the emulation is bad, the hardware is bad, and I, I think. Every PlayStation fan was was left wanting more with this thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm going to say something slightly controversial. I would have preferred not to have yet another version of Final Fantasy VII and re- would have rather had Final Fantasy VIII on this. Oh, no, I agree. I don't even really like Final Fantasy VIII, but we still need versions of it. Yeah, it's that, like, 
that's a weird situation. Um, you can get Final Fantasy VII on the Switch. I think maybe if it's not on the Switch now, it's coming soon. And PS4. And those emulated versions have a few extras added, like uh, the ability to um, to speed up the game and uh, a save system that's that more fits with uh, with the hardware, and uh, a few other small things like that, that that are positive changes. And this is just an emulated version of the PS1 ver- game, which you can get on the PS3 or uh, the PC version on uh, on PC on Steam or wherever. Now it's it's an inferior version of FF7 uh, when there isn't a, ver- a way to play FF8 anywhere. You can play, I think, I think you can play FF8 on PC with the uh, yeah. because it had a mm-hmm. PC version come out. FF8 did not have an enhanced, modernized uh, remake the way FF7 and 9 did. Yeah, and and it's it's a it's a strange choice that they skipped over it because I think it's one of the top three or four highest selling games in the series, and even though it's weird and different, it has a lot of fans. I always hear all these theories about like they like the original code is lost or like they can't get the rights to like the the, the last song. But I mean, just I think it it's out. the song because yeah. um, I mean, because again, the piece the seven the seven version that's on PS4 is just the Steam version, right? Like. And the Steam version of eight exists, so I can't imagine it would be that difficult of a porting job. Yeah, and, um, and it is available as a PS One classic on PS Three, uh, but, but that that's because Sony owns the right to republish that. They, I just think they can't make a new version that has changes, which they uh, would want to do for the PS Four. I don't know. I don't know exactly how it works, but it's a it's a strange situation that they've skipped over FF Eight in these re, in this recent run of re releases. And it would have been a good choice on the PS1 Classic, but alas, it didn't happen. And, I mean, geez, there's only... I, I mean, you heard me mention it before. There's only three RPGs out of the 20 games on the North American version, and the Japanese version adds a handful of others, including Parasite Eve, which would have been a great choice on the North American version. Yeah, Parasite Eve is excellent. There's even two episodes of it on Retro Encounter, should you go back a couple of years. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but like, PS, the PS1 was loaded with RPGs. There's an incredible uh, RPG library on that machine, and we got freaking three of them? Like, are you serious? Uh, let's, st- let's again, stick to only games that Retro Encounter has covered. Uh, Valkyrie Profile, Suikoden 2, Lunar 1, Lunar 2, Xenogears, um, a couple games in the Tales series, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Those are just the ones that this, that this very podcast has covered, ladies and gentlemen. Really famous games that were iconic for the PlayStation, like Crash Bandicoot and Spyro, are missing. Yeah, but... um, that is weird. Uh, I think it might be because those have had recent uh, re-releases and remakes. I, I, uh, I think both of them have had PS4 ones. I think it was Crash two years ago and Spyro last year. I want to yeah, say. Yeah, but even so, you know, like yeah. it. And, and also, I mean, Spyro was uh, was Insomnia, the game that put Insomniac on the map, and Crash was the game that put. Uh, Naughty Dog on the map, and now those guys are just making bank with their Spider-Mans of Marvel and uh, and and The Last of We or whatever they're making nowadays. Those, those you know the, the, those tiny those tiny indie studios. Um, yeah, but if we were going just by remakes, there's been so many Final Fantasy VII remakes that you would think. Except if, the remake that everyone wants. Yeah, except right. the remake that everyone wants. But it's it's interesting that there just seems to be such a weird and frankly disappointing selection on this system. Yeah, and uh, going into games that Retro Encounter hasn't covered, uh, 
I, I would really like it if we got a version of Kudelka on this thing because uh, Kudelka is yeah sort of a predecessor game to the Shadow Hearts series. It's the unofficial first game, and it well, was played... it made by, was it made by Sagnoth or made by like a, or made by a different company with like some of the same people. I don't really know how it goes. I'm not entirely sure, but I mean the characters from it show up in Sa- Shadow Hearts One. And right. oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, Bacon is one of them, isn't he? But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like I've been fascinated by Kudelka. And uh, and I've wanted to play it. It has it has more survivor horror elements than even a sh- than even Shadow Hearts does. Shadow and it's a and it's a little bit it's a little bit challenging going back to its um you know its antiquated movement and systems just just from just from me watching videos and hear and hearing scuttlebutt about it. But it's one of the rarest PS one games for collectors. Hmm? You usually can find it for you know like a hundred and fifty bucks yeah. if you're lucky. And even with its antiquated systems, you're looking at a game that debuted a lot of the standard horror elements when it comes to horror games that we expect nowadays. Yeah, it was games. it was a seminal um, sort of RPG with horror elements kind of game, and it, and I think it predates uh, um, Parasite Eve, but it, but I've always been interested in it. I've heard mostly good things about it, but it's like it, it's very rare and expensive, and it's not available on any um, uh, legally available on any down on any uh, online service to my knowledge. So it, it seems. That would be a game that I hope gets preserved and re-released somewhere somehow, and it, it didn't happen on the PS1 Classic, but, I mean... Particularly given the love of Shadow Hearts 1 and 2, you would think that would be something people would be interested in, in bringing back. Two other games that you can't really find online anywhere. Um, I, I should say on an online download service anywhere. But yeah, the, uh, I, I think it would be extremely well-received, especially in our weird um, circle of RPG lovers, if Kudelka got a re-release. But uh, yeah, th- that would be maybe my number one choice even. Then people would get the joke when I would say that James has friends? Because it's such a wonderful game of misanthropic people that you go, oh God, I'm rooting for this person? Why? But it's so well written that you can't help but get utterly engaged in the game, and it's such yeah. a shame that it's used. About a year and a half ago, if memory serves, we did a we did a uh, a feature on casts of character, our favorite cast of characters in RPGs. And Lucy, our mutual friend Hillary, wrote about the cast of Kudelka for that feature. And then we had yes. a, then we had a follow up podcast for it where uh, that Hillary was also on. So I'm. Again, I've heard a lot about Kudelka. I'm fascinated by it, but I've never had a good opportunity to play it. So, is um, do we have any other games where we're a little bit upset at their lack of inclusion on the PS1 Classic? I mean, one that is mind-boggling to me is Legend of Dragoon, um, because it's a Sony property, um, okay. so it would be super easy for them to get it and put it on there now. Legend of Dragoon is like not as good as I thought it was when I first played yeah, it, but... The problem with Legend of Dragoon is that you have to play Legend of Dragoon. <laughs> I like it more than that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with, with like, you know, HGTVs and lag, I imagine the button presses and the combat system would be really tough. Um, but there are some cool story beats toward the end of the third or fourth disc. And uh, again, it's it's better than Persona 1, um, So, uh, and they have the rights to it. So I, I thought that was just sort of strange. I'm being a little unfair now. Uh, <laughs> like you, I really liked Legend of Dragoon when it came out. It came out in 99 or 2000. I played it in middle school or maybe on my first year of high school. I thought it was, I thought it was super cool. Um, it's basically a, a team of RPG heroes that get multicolored rainbow dragon powers, which is 100% my jam. Right, <laughs> but the, uh, but like, like again, you have to. There's the button timing system of combat makes it. You have to like play half a Guitar Hero song for every random battle, yeah. and it's uh, 
and the the random encounter rate is very high, and battles take a long time. And even though the, there is some cool story moments, especially with all the stuff surrounding Rose, yeah, and uh, one character's father, which is a, a plot twist no one in the universe saw coming. Like, there's cool plot stuff in this game, but it, it's slow moving, and the battle system gets incredibly tedious. And there's one ba- boss battle that confuses me to this day because. You fight some random thief, and she's the hardest battle boss battle that you fought in the entire game so far. And then fifteen, and then like an hour or two later, she gets dragon powers and summons a giant sea serpent. And that boss battle is way, way less challenging than just the random thief that you ran into. <laughs> that, that still baffles me. But anyway, um, that, that's in disc two, I think. But it's a cool, interesting RPG that I don't think holds up at all. I really, really liked it when I first played it, and then I tried to replay it maybe five years later, and I'm like, oh no, I can't, I don't want to replay this at all. I mean, I haven't played it, I guess, since it came out, so yeah. I have I have fond memories of it. I actually uh, wrote I think... a reader review of it and submitted it to RPG Fan back in the early 2000s, so I liked it a lot, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of positive nostalgia for it. Whenever we uh, admit, uh, social media mentions it, it does well. But I really don't think it holds up because I did try to play it some years after I first finished it. Legend of Dragoon. I, I'm less excited about that one than some other ones on this list. <laughs> well, because we keep bringing it up, the Persona game that I would have liked to see on this system would have been Persona 2. Yeah, it's absolutely. A, it's semi-sequel, Eternal Punishment. Because... Yeah. Well, they're, they're, they're well, sequels. Persona 2 is a duology. Is and uh, Yes. And... It has a weird history uh, for localization because um, they did not localize Innocent Sin and skipped right ahead to the semi-sequel Eternal Punishment. Why they skipped Innocent Sin is unclear. They say it might have been because there was a uh, there was a gay character and the possibility of a gay relationship in that game, which is I don't know if that's a, if that's a rumor or if that's the real reason they skipped it. But it's um, it's little, Hitler, isn't it? Y- Oh yeah, it's true. And there, there is a there is a Hitler character that's a boss fight late in the game. And when they eventually remade yeah. Persona Two for PSP and did release and did release that internationally, they renamed him Führer, which is I guess, I guess fair calling Hitler the Führer. But <laughs> uh, didn't they change his mustache too? They, a little bit, yeah. They changed it from a from uh, the toothbrush mustache to a more full mustache. They also gave yeah. him shades. Yes, they gave him. <laughs> yeah, he looks he looks more like a, you know, like a Banana Republic dictator and not the and not a German dictator from the 1930s. Which, but, uh, to be quite honest, that's how Hitler should be remembered. But, <laughs> but the uh, but yeah, Persona. I, I uh, I've never finished Eternal Punishment, but I did beat Persona Two: Innocent Sin on the PSP, and they're both really cool. Uh, I wish. Persona Fusion was easier. Um, if you, uh, if if you, oh yeah. Uh, did you ever try to do, um, look at a guide for how to get fool cards? It's... Once, and then just started crying and closed it. And... Yeah, there's it, you. You don't you don't just get Persona periodically like in three onwards. You have to collect cards and then fuse and then exchange cards for Persona. And uh, sometimes getting cards is just really challenging. You have to ha- like enter word games with demons that are with semi-random behaviors and for fool cards which are the rarest ones you have to basically activate a randomly generated conversation string and get and say the right thing five or six times in a row and then you'll get a handful of fool, fool cards and it's 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 random number generated how, what the right answers are so it's yeah like fusing persona and persona one or two is a complete mess and i think 
it, but Persona 2 is really, really cool. Like, the characters and story are great. And, uh, well, and, that, and that's when it started becoming a Persona game and not just a spinoff of Shin Megami Tensei. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those, mm, Persona 2 is really good. And uh, I really, really recommend uh, the PS1 version of Eternal Punishment and the PSP version of Innocent Sin. And they would have been way better choices than Persona 1 for the PS1 Classic. Yeah, still salty. We never got that PSP remake of Eternal Punishment, but I, I think they just didn't want to put in the effort for it. Uh, they like it would have been. It was probably a lot of work just doing Innocent Sin. I mean, they even got Troy Baker to do a voice of one character, but uh, this is this is before his role in Persona Four, I think. Yeah, they, they probably just decided, well, we'll just put Eternal Punishment on the on the PSN in its PS One version. That'll be enough for fans. And but uh, I still would have liked the PSP version of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would probably also, um, just thinking of more games that could have gone on the play PS1 Classic, uh, Legend of Ligaia was kind of, like, underrated. Like, that was a that was a really neat little RPG that I think people had a lot of fondness for. Yeah, people like that as the Zelda replacement for the PS1, I think. <laughs> uh, even, yeah, <laughs> even, like, Xenogears or... Uh, there's a lot of RPGs on the PlayStation. Is the is the bottom line here? And the the PS One Classics library is so anemic. Like we could name just about anything, and it probably would have been a better pick than some of the choices they went with. Yeah, it's it really feels rushed. I think that they probably even divided the emulation duties between multiple studios, which is why some have international emulation versions and some have uh, some have North American ones. It uh, and. Capping it off at twenty, and the games they chose to to release, and uh, the shoddy version of emulation they did, really screams rush job and is a huge disappointment. Like, um, they could have made this thing half RPGs, and people would have still wanted more games. And instead, they put three RPGs, and one of them is freaking Persona One, and, and one which is not good, and one is Final Fantasy Seven, which you could probably play on your refrigerator somehow. So, it's, <laughs> like, I, I, it's really baffling some of the choices they made about this thing. Where, where if they had given it maybe another year and really uh, gone like ham on uh, including more content and emulating it better, they, it could have been a runaway smash hit, but it was not. And now it was uh, a fast ass money grab. And now Lucy could run out and get one for thirty seven dollars if she wanted to. If she didn't maybe pre-order it when it was originally 100 bucks. Oh, no. Oh, no. Do you oh. have that thing? I so, refuse to confirm or deny. So money. Wild Arms is pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jack, like Jack is a samurai in the Old West with a pet mouse, and that's pretty great. I'd watch that anime. <laughs> And uh, um, Into the Wilderness is one of the best opening tracks in any RPG ever. That, that, game, that thing rules. I think I'm, I'm going to use that for the intro to this episode. Let's do it. Yep, that'll happen. And uh, listeners, you have already heard that about an hour ago. Um, so I think that's about exhaustive discussion on the PlayStation Classic, which is largely a disappointment. We could probably uh, spend another half hour just listing PS1 games we wish on that thing. But instead, we're going to leave the realm of the existing and talk about the realm of the hypothetical. Uh, gentlemen and lady, if we if you were to create your own quote unquote classic console to be you know a uh, a separate set top box that included fifteen to twenty to thirty of your uh, favorite games of that console, what would be your dream version of one of those? Uh, I'll, I'll go first to give you guys some extra time to think. Um, uh, I recently 
uh, tried to play one of my PSP games on my last PSP console, only to discover that my PSP's uh, battery had started to leak lithium, and now nothing is playable on it at all. So oh, no. it, had, it had me uh, Googling prices for PSPs, but also um, interested in one of these PSP classics things. If they, if they release something kind of like the PSP Go, which was a miniature PSP that only had uh, download capabilities and no UMD reading, and loaded that with, with 25 PSP games, I would probably buy that thing in a heartbeat. Because, I mean, the game I was trying to play was, a, uh, <laughs> was the East versus, Trails, uh, versus Sora no Kiseki fighting game, which is definitely not going to be on a, on a North American PSP classic. But uh, games like the Dissidia games, Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, which you can't, really, which you can't find on, as an online download anymore, uh, Monster right. Hunter Freedom 2 and Freedom Unite, um, I, I guess five Sora no Kiseki games, maybe more if I'm if I'm missing one. Uh, a bunch of good PSP PS1 remakes like Final Fantasy Tactics: War of the Lions and Star Ocean: Second Evolution, and probably more I'm forgetting. Uh, Persona 3 Portable, like there there the PSP was a wealth of RPGs and had a lot of good games on it, um, both remakes and non-remakes. Uh, like Meg, uh, Mega Man Powered Up is better than the original NES Mega Man One. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But yeah, I, I would really like if if, they, if some kind of miniature PSP uh, special edition was released, especially since my P, my my last PSP is broken. I would be very interested in playing that. Yeah, that'd be a great pick, especially since uh, with the Vita discontinued, I think we're going to need a new way to download some of these uh, games that are on the yes. PlayStation Store. Yeah, yeah, jeez. Even if they re- if they re-released a Vita that was download stuff only, uh, just so I could play PSP and Vita games from the PSN store again i that's never going to happen because I, I think sony might even be out of the handheld business for all we know mm. but yeah i would i'd welcome a psp classic um does anyone else have a uh dream cons a dream classic console that they'd like to share i was gonna go uh continue on the handheld train is i really want a game boy advance classic i think uh that'd be a good way to there's a lot of good rpgs on that system like you could play golden sun one and two um you could play uh, Final Fantasy VI Advance, the which has the better translation and all the new content from FF6. Um, you could play Mario Superstar Saga. There is a 3DS remake of that, but the original sprite work in Superstar Saga is so charming. Um, I'd kind of like to see them do that version. There's a couple exclusive Kirby games. There's uh, three Fire Emblem games. Uh, two three of, Fire. Two of which came to North America, and the. Uh... The first of which is very, very good, and you can find it emulated. But yes, yeah, so that'd be a good way for people to finally play Roy's our boy, the game. Um. <laughs> Roy is secretly one of the great lady killers of Fire Emblem because uh, decades before you could date literally everyone, he had like seven possible wives in that game in '99 <laughs> <in> or 2000. <laughs> they were they were sowing the seeds of uh, the wife who wars the game. um but yeah i think oh a minish cap of course how can i forget basically the game boy advance classic there's there's a lot of great games on the game boy advance um with again um, a lot of these are available on the wii u virtual console but uh who knows how long that's going to be around um yeah the wii u had about the same sales as the vita so that'll tell you how successful it was (laughs) right (laughs) so i think it'd be a good way to uh to uh, re-experience some of those some of those classic games, so that'd be my pick. All right. Uh, so Zach or Lucy, do you have a suggestion for this uh, exercise in theory? In theory, 
I would probably go with the Dreamcast classic. Um, I mean, Grandia 2 and, of course, Skies of Arcadia, which I've still never been able to play, unfortunately. Um, it would be, I mean, are both excellent. Uh, at least one of them I know is an excellent RPG, and I'm certain from listening to this podcast that Skies of Arcadia is an excellent RPG. Um, but I, I, I feel like there's like a big library of really good games in the Dreamcast, even outside of uh, the RPG realm uh, in terms of Soul Calibur, uh, Crazy Taxi, Shenmue, and it didn't get uh, as didn't have as much traction at the time um, when it came out, um, just because you know Sega was dying. So I feel like it would be um, it would have it has a good library that I think would be successful, and I think that people would probably go for it. Um, first of all, how dare you mention the Dreamcast without talking about Power Stone or Power Stone Two? <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and a lot of other good fighting games. It has the best versions of uh, Rival Schools and uh, and a, a more arcade-ready version of Marvel vs. Capcom 2, which I know all the fight, all the thousands of fighting game fans in this audience are care very deeply about. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, I uh, when I had a Dreamcast, I uh, played Skies of Arcadia. I didn't play Groundia 2 until the PS2 version, and uh, it was mostly Skies of Arcadia and Fighting Game Machine. But it was a very, very good one of those, and I have a lot of positive nostalgia with the Dreamcast. It's the only, it's the only Sega console I ever owned, and I got it for cheap after the Dreamcast was dead or dying. But I had a lot of fun with it. So a Dreamcast Classic with a slightly better controller, maybe I would definitely be into. <laughs> I kind of like the controller. I don't know. I, I, I always like the big controllers. It, no, I, I don't mind the size of it. I didn't even mind the buttons of it. But um, the the buttons were very hard and not soft. So if I was um, playing a fighting game, I would I would have blisters or small cuts on my thumb trying to do wow. dragon punches. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> so that, that was my issue with it. Um, really, what I should have done is gotten an uh, gotten an arcade stick and used that for the fighting games. But I was mm-hmm. I was not that advanced yet. <laughs> So, Lucy, what's your pick for a uh, theoretical classic console? I'm split. My first instinct is to say PlayStation 2 Classic, because they co- totally did not fuck up PlayStation 1. But one of, uh, best, one of the best libraries of games in anything ever. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with my one-woman campaign to make a, have a Persona 4 HD remake. Uh, but there are so many good games, and it lasted for so long. There's such a huge library for it. That, that's my first instinct, but also it has some really huge games on it, so I could see why it wouldn't be picked. So my first, uh, my real pick would be a Game Boy Classic. This was the first console that I ever had, and being able to play the original Pokemon games, Kirby's Dreamland, Link's Awakening, uh, getting my hands back on that would be just so much fun. Kirby's Dreamland 2 is awesome that, that, that game's a little bit more similar to it, it had more of the changes to adventure and it also gave you a pet hamster to ride which is the best yes! um and oh shoot my, secretly one of my favorite uh game boy games that i think it's a little bit overlooked now is uh is the game boy donkey kong which has stages like nes donkey kong but instead of being like four stages and then the boss it's i think around 60 or 70 it's one it's one of my favorite mario games and it's a in, incredibly uh, lengthy for a like for a Game Boy Mario game. I, I think it's better than Mario Land or Mario Land Two, but uh, th- that game's awesome. It's very puzzle heavy Mario. That's great. I, I would I have a lot of Game Boy games I love. Uh, the Tetris was my first video game, and I, yeah, I, I would support a uh, a Game Boy Classic. Luckily, you can get a lot of Game Boy games on the. Uh, 3DS Virtual Console, mm-hmm. um, and I do have a, a I, I think I have um, a handful on there. I, I definitely, I definitely bought 
uh, Link's Awakening DX and the two Oracle games for uh, for Game mm-hmm. Boy Color, which are not exactly what you're looking for, I guess. And uh, and Mega Man Five, which is the best Mega Man game on on mm-hmm. Game Boy or Game Boy Color. But I'll, I'd allow it. I'd allow it. But seriously, what? Oh, come on. What? <laughs> The, the Mega Man 1 through 4 for the Game Boy are just remixes of, uh, like, inferior remixes of the NES games. And in Mega Man 5, you're fighting, like, a weird sun pharaoh, and uh, and you have Tango the Cat, which is the most underutilized Mega Man character. Come on. No, seriously, I the Game Boy was such a wonderful s- start for Nintendo's now dominance in the handheld field. I feel like it we just... We need to be remembered about how awesome it is, and not by having a shoddy knockoff uh, promoted by Soldier Boy. Yeah, that Soldier Boy story was so surreal to read. To read, I really do not understand what his reasoning was, or why he thought it would work. But uh, it it helps to remember he was the co-founder of the Fire Festival. No, that's Ja Rule. Is it? Yeah, it was it was it was Ja Rule. And, 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 and it, was, it was it was Ja Rule and that and that uh, and that Billy uh, um, venture capital guy. Uh, <laughs> what does Ja Rule think? Oh, oh boy. Okay, now now we're into okay. So now we're into Dave Chappelle stand up and, 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 and the fire festival. Oh boy, that fire festival documentary is something, but I it is not related to RPGs. So I think. Um, so, uh, all right, okay, if we're talking about ja, the differences between Ja Rule and Soldier Boy, then we're definitely at the end of the episode. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, thank, thank you, uh, Lucy, Zach, and Peter, for discussing these, um, these classic consoles with me. I, I, again, I, I think that we are going to get something more like these because the NES and SNES classics sold like hotcakes by all accounts. I don't know if it's going to be an N64 classic or a SNES classic 2 or um, one of our dreams, Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, PS2, PSP, Dreamcast classics. I, I would welcome any of those, but I, I don't think we've seen the end of these because there is some precedent for them selling really well, and that's enough. But let's get into uh, what we have going up soon in Retro Encounter. Uh, next week we are having a very special RPG Villains episode um, all about Kefka Palazzo from Final Fantasy VI. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit more details with um, what's going on in May, uh, but in general, um, uh, the Kefka episode is a tribute to Shea Serrano's Villains podcast, one of my favorite podcasts, and I'm going to have two other episodes in May that are also tributes to my favorite podcasts, but I will not say exactly what those are yet. And speaking of uh, PlayStation games that should have been on the PS1 Classic, we have two episodes on Chrono Cross uh, in May. Uh, Peter, I think you're on you're on those, but I, I think I am going to pass on those for now. Uh, have you started playing Chrono Cross yet? Uh, th- at this time, I have not. I've been kind of consumed with, uh, oh, with up my, my my critters in Pokemon Pokemon White. Okay. Um, yep, I, I I'm uh, I'm playing catch up on the generation I missed before uh, Sword and Shield come out. But nice. I have, have my. You, have you met the how how uh, how many interactions have you had with our handsome best boy uh, N? Who's, who's uh, I've had, had a few interactions. Remember. I'm actually I'm, I'm I'm on my way to go wake up a dragon and kick his butt. All right, sounds good. Yeah, his his okay. Yeah, right. N's full name is Natural Harmonia Gropius, which is one of the most insane video game names in history. I'm not. <laughs> that's I'm, not, not suggestive at all. No, N five is just perfect. 
honestly, I'm I'm kind of this is completely off topic. I'm honestly in love with this game. I I'm, yeah. I can't believe I missed it the first time around. Yeah, it's crazy. Pokemon Black White has like the best Pokemon story, and then Pokemon Black Two White Two have the worst Pokemon story, but the best Pokemon gyms. It's a really weird dichotomy those that generation has. But I, I have a lot of affection for Gen Five. Mm-hmm. But um, I will be starting Chrono Cross soon. I have my Vita fully charged, ready to go. It's sitting uh, right next to me as I speak, taunting me with but, promise of a gorgeous Yasunori Mitsuda soundtrack. Yeah, that, that, mm. is, a good, that is a great soundtrack. But really, the so best the, the reason that Gen 5 is the best Pokemon generation is that there's a psychic Pokemon named Solosis in it. <laughs> there's, also a, there's also a giant sarcophagus with googly eyes and ghost hands. There's also an ice cream cone with eyes. Gen 5 gets weird. But anyway, uh, that's enough talking about Pokemon and Chrono Cross. Uh, you'll, you'll hear those Chrono Cross episodes soon. Um, if you, Listeners, if you want to email us, the best way to do so is to email retro at rpgfan.com. Uh, RPG Fan also has message boards, a Facebook page, Discord, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, so many other things. You can find links to all of those on the front page of rpgfan.com. We also have two other fine podcasts, Random Encounter, which is hosted by Greg Delmage and more focused on current events and news. And Rhythm Encounter about RPG about RPG music that will hopefully be revived later this year, uh, but I we cannot we do not have any hard news on that front. Um, also, please review us on iTunes, Google Play, or however you're listening to us. And uh, we love feedback, and we listen to and read every piece of feedback directed to us. And thanks for listening today. Um, this is a bit of a off top. Well, many of our episodes are off topic. This is a little bit of an odd episode, just because like. like I, I, I think Lucy, I think you suggested it. Like, hey, um, these weird consoles that they're releasing every year. Uh, can we? Want, do you want to talk about those? And three of us said yes. I did that in the background of you guys having your planning meeting. Yeah, it was during a planning meeting, and you had never been on the podcast before, and you sort of meekly suggested it, and enough people liked it that we are now talking about it. So that's all it takes. Just just one pitch that two other people like, and then I'll make it into a podcast. <laughs> so. Uh, um, my fellow panelists, what is the best way for listeners to reach you via social media or what have you? Starting with you, Zach. Um, I'm Zach W on Discord, and you can also email me at ZachW at RPGFan.com. And now, Lucy, your turn. I am available through the RPG Fan uh, Facebook and Twitter, as well as my own Twitter, uh, at Jess Idries. Oh, shoot. I don't think I follow you yet. I'll have to fix that. All right, but Peter, your turn. How can listeners reach you? Uh, if you want to uh, reach me, you can follow me at I Have Fury on Twitter. Uh, also, feel free to reach out, PeterT at RPGFan.com. Listeners, if you want to reach me, the best way to do so is probably Twitter. I am at The Real Monsoon most times and at Evoker for Dogs other times. Uh, you can also find me on the on Discord as Monsoon Mike and on the forums as Monsoon. Uh, I think that about does it. Uh, I am going to go and play my SNES Classic and see if uh, the PS1 Classic is dropped under 25 bucks. Listeners, it's not worth it. Really, though? I mean, come on. Is it like, like, like Puzzle Fighter and Wild Arms? Look, man, it's like the city of NT. They basically have to pay you for it to be worth it. <laughs> I, I downloaded the free version and felt like it was too much. I, I think I'll just go and uh, find Into the Wilderness from Wild Arms 1 on YouTube and listen to that for an hour, and that'll that'll be worth the $25. <laughs> or that's better than paying $25. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Good night, and good luck. <laughs>